0: And it's called ADHD Wise Squirrels. And you can find it at wisequirrels.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just search ADHD Wise Squirrels. Pop over and have a listen. Let me know what you think.
1: Thanks. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man.
3: I don't know of any delicate way to say this, but births aren't replacing deaths. You know, as you look at the future, and you and we know from our studies, and we know from studies at places like McKinsey and Brookings and others that, that we see, as we automate or machine learn or AI into the future, that's not going to cost jobs. That's just going to change jobs. Jobs are actually actually going to grow. With the speed of change that's taking place, we know that people into the future, I mean, continuous learning now is not just an empty phrase. It's a necessity both to the employer and to the employee as they look out into the future.
2: Nice. Nice.
3: Nice. 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 Nice with Dave Delaney.
0: Welcome to the Nice Podcast, all about communication, collaboration, and becoming better leaders. I'm your host, Dave Delaney from futureforth.com, where we help fast-growing technology companies retain talent and improve culture so you have happier, more connected teams. Today, I am speaking to the one and only Ralph Schultz, the President and CEO of the Nashville Area Chamber of Commerce. Ralph, thank you so much for joining me.
3: Dave, glad to be here. Everything you just said in that intro is important to Nashville as well as businesses.
0: Yes, absolutely. And we are, we are definitely gonna get into that. Let me ask you though, my, I always like to uh, begin my, my uh, interviews with the simple question, which sometimes takes a minute, but that's okay. It's what's the nicest
3: thing someone has done for you recently? You know, I think the nicest thing someone's done for me recently is just to compliment the vitality and the vibe of Nashville. We mm. see a lot of inner town or out of town visitors, and you know, it just it just always lights me up when people say, "What a great place." Um, so I considered that really nice. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Was there a specific case? Like, did somebody specifically say it to you, or 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 is
3: this just that overall thing? You know, it's kind of an overall thing. I mean, yeah. just someone said it to me yesterday. Uh, there were some visitors in from Fort Worth, and they were actually here to make a uh, a, a commitment to a veterans organization, mm-hmm. and they just talked about how. From the moment they got off their plane to the experience they were having at our at the reception, it's just such Nashville's just such a friendly, vital place, and honestly, it it just makes me feel good. Yeah, me too.
0: Me too. In fact, when I moved here in two thousand seven. yeah, that's what I found, too. Just people, like anybody I reached out to just to say, like, hey, would you mind, you know, if I if we could meet for a cup of coffee? Everybody was like, sure, yeah, no problem. I don't think anybody ever said no. And I'm like, I'm from Toronto, and, you know, Canada is a friendly place. But, I mean, I think I would have been shot down in Toronto several times. But
3: Well, I, the uh, another thing that happens to me from time to time, I remember uh, a person telling me that, They were walking through an airport and they were stopping at a gate and that someone asked them where they lived and they said they live in nashville and they said oh nashville what a cool place tell me more about it and (sighs) you know that that wasn't always the case for nashville but it is much the case right now
0: that's very true actually it's it was interesting back in the i don't know late 90s early 2000s when my wife and i you know were backpacking europe and doing our thing I uh, we whenever we met people I'd say I'm from Toronto and they'd be like oh yeah and they'd talk about something to do with Canada and she'd say oh, I'm from Nashville and they'd be like hmm
1: yeah. <laughs> and, right.
0: and then there was one time where there was a guy who was who who said, Nashville, that's near Memphis, right? And she's like, Yeah, yeah it's not <laughs> too far. And he's like, I'm a big Elvis fan. And so like we got really excited about Elvis. But yeah, yeah, we've definitely come a long way, baby.
3: Hey, there were a lot of times <laughs> that people thought Nashville and Memphis were the same thing, and I, I heard that Elvis comment over the years, no, numerous times, but but not anymore. I mean, Nashville, the vibe in Nashville is so strong and positive, and we see that in that in in the in migration to the area, right? I mean, people yeah. when we when we dig deeper into why people are coming here through research and polls and studies and surveys. We find the culture of Nashville is what is the draw. Now, for businesses, there's a lot in the business environment that really encourages them to think about Nashville. Mm-hmm. But, but for the people that are coming here, it's all about that, that vibe, that sense of vitality and creativity and initiative that exists here. 100%. I agree completely. So um, let
0: me ask you, actually, where – I'll, I'll back this up, actually. I did, So I was doing some research on you, and I was trying to find where you were from originally, whether you're from here or elsewhere, because I know you've worked elsewhere. Where Where are you from originally?
3: Well, I was born in Louisville, Kentucky, and when I was 12 years old, the family moved to Chattanooga, Tennessee. Okay. Okay. And that led to University of Tennessee in Knoxville. And then that led to my first job in Nashville in the mid-70s. And then after that, I was gone to numerous places, but came back to uh, Nashville in the late 90s. And, uh, you know, the the story about that is of all the places we had lived, when my wife and I sat down to talk about where we weren't going to move from uh, Nashville was that place, so we came back to Nashville.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Is she from Nashville?
3: Nope her her dad worked for DuPont, and yeah. for anybody that knows that story, she lived in a lot of places too. But, but Nashville is just you know just such a great place for us as we were starting out in our lives together that uh, we just always loved it. So,
0: and, and while I was doing some research, uh, I have to say, I was trying to, to find you on LinkedIn, and I started noticing that you're, you don't do much, uh, I can't, couldn't really find you much on social media, which got me thinking... Based on you know just how, it, I mean I know you're a busy man, but I'm blown away by just how much you're involved with and how much you do, and the awards and milestones, which I'm going to talk a about a bit a little bit here. But I, I started thinking, wait a minute. So if I wasn't spending my time on social media, I could actually do like way more. <laughs> is this the uh, is this the mindset you have on on that?
3: Well, I mean. I- dave you're bringing a smile to my face because (laughs) um you know social media is just not something i do now the chamber does yeah oh yeah so so you know from a from a work perspective um the messages get out the commentary comes in and and social media is an important vehicle for the chamber but for me personally um I'm a little bit more of a face-to-face, person-to-person kind of person. I like to be able to have conversation as compared to sound bites. Mm-hmm. So, I, I and and then I will often also tell people that. Um, that twitter and some of those communication mechanisms i could just i would just get in trouble on those things so <laughs> I, I just pretty much refrain from uh, from comment
0: yeah just one tweet about the potholes uh from you and i think uh yeah yeah that may not go over so well although we and could use all the help we can get
3: and I promise you, there are times <laughs> in my life where if Twitter were, or, or if social media were easily available to me at that moment in time, I would make the mistake of using it, yeah. so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. So you've been president and CEO of the Chamber since November 2006, which is a really impressive mm-hmm. 16-year tenure. What attracted you to the Chamber role originally?
3: Well, when we moved back to Nashville, the Science Center was really the thing that attracted me, uh, attracted me most because it was about education, it was about kids, and it was about a venerable institution in town that was struggling. Mm. And uh, if if you look at my background, there's there are times when I that struggling thing has been a real attraction to me. Mm. Um, But I often said when I was involved at the Science Center and involved in a lot of community activities as a result that the chamber job was the only other job in Nashville that I would ever want. So when that job came open, um, I, I applied, I interviewed for it. And I think one of the main things that attracted me was that the chamber is led by business leaders in the community that want to make a difference i think that that is a differentiating quality for nashville that that there are business leaders that don't just hand a check over to organizations they want to be engaged in the work Mm. and because of that and because of the chamber's focus on the importance of education in the community uh, i was i was very attracted to it but i will say that part you know, if you'd, if you'd ask me 15 years ago, would I still be at the chamber 15 years later, I would tell you my, my interest level, I, I don't have that kind of interest level for long. I, I tend to do things and then move on to the next thing. But the work here is so varied and it's so significant across the region and the leadership is so strong and the staff teams, year after year after year, are so strong mm-hmm. that I can't think of any other place I would want to be where I feel like an organization look, can make a difference. So, um, you know, I yeah. go ahead. I'm no, sorry.
0: no, no. Go ahead. Sorry.
3: I, you know, I, I, I often, and I think people maybe even get tired of it, but I often refer to the, to the purpose statement of the organization because I just think it's so dead on that the. Uh, The Chamber exists to create economic prosperity by facilitating community leadership. So often community leaders have the desire but they really don't have the wherewithal to do the things they want to do and what the Chamber does is create an opportunity for them to make their indispensable contribution to moving the community forward and building prosperity but the chamber is sort of the mechanism that they can use as a resource to do that
0: yeah that's true and in 2009 uh, i was reading how the chamber was selected as the chamber of the year award like across the country uh what is and, and that's a huge milestone by the way after three years in the role um, of of transforming the, the chamber and winning that, that you know really prestigious award. Tell me a little bit about the the changes that were made, uh, you know, in in at the beginning when you when you joined the chamber. Obviously, I would I would assume the chamber was probably struggling a little bit, um, just as you know, and, and from what you were saying as well with your work with the uh, the the Adventure Science Center. Um, So tell me a little bit about that transformation or what what were the maybe the pain points and and what were some of the solutions for those pain points?
3: Well, I think I think what your listeners are going to hear in this answer are answers that they've heard other places as well. I. Establishing a culture within the organization is such a key component of being able to move forward in a sustainable innovative and responsive responsive way. Mm. So we really put focus on you know what do we what are the values of the chamber what is the purpose of the chamber what is it that we hope to achieve and then kind of the execution elements of you know what's our plan, what's our timeline, who's in charge, who's accountable, et cetera. So going back to that that values component, the very first thing we began to work on is what do we value as an organization? Well, we said, first and foremost, we value leadership. And that manifests itself in a lot of ways and in a lot of layers of our work, whether it's volunteer work, staff work, our work with our public partners, those public policy makers, our work with business leaders, people who bring investment to the the work. And then we said, we also value team integrity. We're all in this together. We don't throw people under the bus. We only do the things that help each other achieve success so that the organization can achieve success. And then finally, we said, we value results. We don't value talk, we value what actually happens as a result of the investment in the work, so ROI. Um, And once we had that kind of in place, we had that purpose statement that we developed that, that really was very precise, yet broad, about what our role in the community was this is another thing that i really appreciate about nashville there are lots of people and lots of organizations in this community that are engaged in work to improve the community and one of the things that i think distinguishes nashville is that everybody has a role everybody fulfills their role no one is and no one is a big statement but very rarely is there a conflict between organizations and people as to what role they fill nobody's looking to overlap or to be redundant mm. and and so you know identifying those kinds of things as important places for the organi- or elements for the organization really helped establish the culture and then as we recruit membership or as membership volunteers with us or as we hire staff or as we engage people in leadership roles in the chamber as volunteers those those values and that purpose are the real guidepost it's it's a very active part of who we are so establishing the culture first and then you know kind of the typical business kinds of things, Uh, you know, driving the resources and the acquisition of resources to actually execute on a plan that that business community and the community as a whole helped us form, you know, it it gave us great clarity, okay? It It gave us, when we have that clarity and we are making decisions based on those principles then eventually a culture evolves into a real sustainable results oriented organization.
0: Mm. How many people work with the culture? Or with the culture? How many people work with the chamber?
3: Well, we have 50 people on staff, including the healthcare council, which is technically a part of the chamber but operates as a Pretty independent, uh, what I call self-governed industri- industry group within the chamber. So there are about forty people that are actually engaged in doing the work every day that we do. And how
0: many and, people? How many people were part of the the chamber when you joined?
3: Um, probably about that same number. Okay. But a lot of those, a lot of that work has been. Somewhat reconfigured. I mean, if you look at the the basic elements of the uh, of our function of our work, we have what we call theaters of operation, and we have a policy theater that is working on a metro, regional, and state level, and we don't do as much in the federal uh, federal community. We have an economic development team that is really mostly about marketing, but facilitating expansions and new businesses in the area. Uh, we have a growth team, which is really focused on our outreach to the community and securing uh, volunteer and membership uh, in, into the organization. And then as a result of our, our um, recent planning process, we have now created a talent development team when we look out into the future the greatest restraint to expanding our prosperity is going to be the available of talent that the availability of talent to match the jobs that are growing here so as you look at the next 5 years with us you're going to see a lot of our resource devoted to that new area of of emphasis so you know, those 40 people are sort of scattered around those theaters. And the thing that's unique about our theater concept is it's not a strict departmental control kind of, of structure.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Those theaters interact with each other. A lot of the staff that work in a particular theater, theater are leading projects that engage other members of the team. And so the reason we've kind of defined the theaters, I think uh, Mark Hill, one of our our former employees, described it best. He said, all of our activity is arranged in an organizational range, uh, organizational way with theaters, but the theaters don't own the resources. The activity owns the resources.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I like that approach to it. So how do, you, how do you measure success w- from your team as far as, as far as culture? I mean, obviously in the work that I do, you know, employee retention uh, is a good uh, indicator. And uh, so tell me a little bit about how you, how you measure success. How do you know what, what's working and what's not?
3: Well, when it comes to employee retention, we measure it by retention and the great jobs that our people move on to. Mm-hmm. When they've distinguished themselves here. Yeah, the yeah. Uh, there's a lot of visibility at the chamber, and you know, I, I could give you a couple of examples where Amazon has reached in and plucked talent from here that worked with us on the uh, proposal to Amazon to come to Nashville. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Alliance Bernstein made a couple of those hires. Uh, so so we find our talent, which is young and relatively early in their career. Um, you know we find that staffing thing we're sort of we call ourselves a talent generator and I say that we are infiltrating businesses all over the city uh, with our with our talent but I think the main way that we measure success um, you know it does go back to those essential answers that our owners the board of directors have given us about what their expectations are for us In a broad way, that's the values, that's the purpose. Uh, That is some specification they give us about the things that we need to be really good at. We need to be really good at original research. We We need to be really good at regional collaboration. We need to be really good at Uh, agenda facilitation, um, and we need to be really good at economic development. Mm. And then from that, every five years springs a plan that literally involves thousands of people through surveys and polling, and research that is conducted both inside the organization and from an external source. And we put all of that information in front of about 80 community leaders, And over the course of about six months to a year, they identify priorities and strategies and metrics. And when that five year, that process is done, we go out and raise the resources to be able to execute that plan. And then on an annual basis, our board visits those metrics they approve a budget, they approve a a program of work, and in the interim, there is a group that they've designated to be the monitors of our progress and alter our strategy where needed. So, you you know, when I say it out loud like that, it Mm. sounds like a pretty intricate and exhaustive process, but every step of the way, I keep going back to clarity we have that fundamental definition that we've received that allows us to undertake the work with clear guidance and then those priorities emerge the work emerges and the measurements uh, emerge
0: interesting so do the values ever change over time or has that been kind of consistent
3: well, it's been consistent, but it's all of those things are revisited every year. Okay, is that is this truly what we want to be and need to be? And then again, you know that involves all of us. It involves our members. It involves our board. It involves our staff. And then the staff or the board has the opportunity to decide whether it needs to be changed. But it hasn't changed.
0: How do you handle? communications, uh, skills and messaging internally, um, because, well, let me back up. So you, you made a point about how, you know, you hire a lot of young people and you teach them a lot, um, in their own 10 years, and then they, uh, either move on, they move on possibly to, to something else. Um, and then, you know, obviously take those, those skills with them. So how do you handle, um, the communication around, uh, communicating what, the new hires need to know, um, so that you're not back stuck, backpedaling and retraining. Do you know what I mean? Like if you, if you have like a higher turnover, not to any fault of your own, because that's part of part of the the process. Um, is, is that something that's, uh, that you struggle with? Is that, is that something that you have like really well in, in documents, like systematizing everything or
1: how does that work? My dad works in B2B marketing,
3: Well, like everybody else, scarcity of talent it has extended the process of our hiring process, right? Mm. But the very first thing we're looking for in any individual that comes to work here is leadership ability. Can they take initiative? Can they accept responsibility? Can they problem solve? Um, and, and, you know... Are they risk takers? Because mm-hmm. look, our agenda is so large, especially compared to the resources and the people we have available, we, we, we license the people who work here to, to lead on their work. Mm-hmm. Uh, that makes, it, you know, you mentioned it earlier, that makes communication really important. So there are five models of activity. We've modeled a visioning process, we've modeled a management process, we've modeled, modeled planning processes. And we ask everyone, regardless of where they came from or what their experience was or what their education was, to work within these, these models. Um, I sort of used one with you informally earlier that is a process everybody uses when they're undertaking an initiative, we ask them to define the values, define the purpose, define what they expect to achieve, and then define the mechanics, who's in charge, what's the budget, what's the activity, et cetera. And when everybody works within those models, we have sort of an automatic communication and cohesion mm-hmm. that that, you know, is transferred relatively readily. Now, I'm expressing to you the ideal. There are always humps and bumps in the process. Uh, But it really does start with our hiring process and as we acquire resources, the degree to which people want to engage with us because of what we do and how it fits their passion Mm. as compared to just being out there to recruit more people, more money, uh, et cetera. And then there's an onboarding process um, where they're exposed to these various models and they're exposed to the organizational values and, and so forth and so on. And then for staff, there's a buddy. There's someone always assigned to be that navigator with them as they kind of rapidly uh, integrate themselves in into the culture at the chamber, I would go back and say one other thing about these young people. Um, you know, when you're when you're hiring leaders, as we are, they're learning more from their experiences than they are necessarily from our formal training or inboarding process. So, you know, especially in the early stages, we're pretty patient with providing guidance where it's beneficial but allowing that experience to be the teacher Mm -hmm. and so um, honestly i think that's one of the reasons we attract the talent that we attract because the people that want to operate that way are the people that are attracted to uh, to working here
0: well, I and you know, obviously, we all want to retain talent. Obviously, we, nobody wants to replace folks, but but at the same time, I think the way that you're doing it is is really is really clever and 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 creative and, and empowering because you're 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 teaching staff skills that they may use or they will use um, throughout their tenure there. But then, if they go on to you know Amazon or whomever, as you mentioned. Um, they're taking the skills and, and, the, and the great experience with your culture and applying it to their new roles of wherever they are, presumably maybe a little higher up as they're going up in their own careers. And so this in turn sort of keeps the, the wheels oiled, the machine well oiled in Nashville, because now you're, fuel, you're, you're basically churning out, in a, in a sense, great talent for other organizations too who also then speak uh, highly of of your work in the chamber and and they in turn then then you know will join the chamber and help support the chamber as well am i am i hitting on something there does that sound right
3: right oh yeah you are in fact yeah. you know e- even as i arrived back in nashville i could see i could see the effects of strong business organizations and even public officials
1: mm.
3: who had who had young talent associated with them early that had become leaders in the community. And, and so, yeah, you are, you are definitely hitting on something. But I have to admit, we have great people here, and, and I regret every single one of them that, that, that wins that big promotion. Happy for <laughs> them.
0: Yeah, but. of course. Of course. yeah
3: would love to have
0: them stay yeah and i and i i totally get that but you know in a sense uh i think what you're doing is a good model for businesses and business leaders listening because you know let's face it i mean the tenure of of most talent these days uh not to any fault of anyone. It's just, you know, you, you don't work for the Ford Motor Company for 25 years and get a watch or something, right? Like now, yeah. n- now people do switch careers. They make, I think the stat I read was they, cha- they actually literally change what they do for a living at least three to five times throughout their career. And so people do leave. And so uh, the message here for, for leaders listening is to understand that, you know, treat people like they're going to be with you forever. But if they do leave, you know, Teach them what they need to know, so that they can then, you know, no bridges are burned, and that, and then, uh, yeah, that that reputation uh, lasts, and and yeah, I think I think that's a good way to look at things. You were talking also about the importance of of online learning and talent development, and something the chamber is is focused on. Uh, certainly, oh. I, I read, I listened to an interview with you on Tennessee Voices, and you were talking about uh, reskilling, uh, which mm-hmm. I which I think is is a great approach. Do you want to talk a little bit about um that as it pertains to to helping you know multiple communities and and uh and businesses as well as the talent pool becomes you know more and more uh difficult
3: yeah the um you know this is one of the things in our last planning process that we really we really zeroed in on and I'm going to get a little a little economic regional economic uh, on you here <laughs> um you know when you when you look at the, the the most basic generator of, of workforce, you have to start with looking at the birth rate. And the birth rate is not replacing, you know, I don't know of any delicate way to say this, but births aren't replacing deaths. And so mm-hmm. you know, as you look at the future, and you and we know from our studies, and we know from studies at places like McKinsey and Brookings and others that, that we see, that you know as we automate or machine learn or ai into the future that's not going to cost jobs that's just going to change jobs jobs are actually actually going to grow so with the speed of change that's taking place we know that people into the future i mean continuous learning now is not just an empty phrase it's a necessity both to the employer and to the employee as they look out into the future. So in our five-year plan, you know what we were looking at is where are the opportunities for that matchmaking to occur the most? Where are the opportunities to build those skills and to have them match what's coming in the future? And in large measure, it is at least partially those students that are going through the K-12 or beyond experience. But there is a large population in this region that have the motivation to do better than they're doing now. They have the ability to do better than they're doing now. But they they are enmeshed in their everyday life in such a way that there is a Difficulty in acquiring those new skills, so you know, particularly as it relates to public policy, Tennessee Promise, uh, uh, the Operation Reconnect, uh, the you know various mechanisms that employ community colleges and other forms of education. We're working with to help them modify. Um, their education process to make it more accessible to those people that are motivated and are able and can reskill or upskill. Uh, JP Morgan Chase gave us a $7 million, $7.2 million grant over the next five years hmm. specifically to enhance the relationship between Metro Schools graduates and the community college structure to allow for certifications, apprenticeships, and and to some degree change the nature of education from sort of the academic measure, the sort of hours per semester that people take into what's called stackable skills. And that opens up the opportunity not only for young students that are progressing in their education, but also adults that need that opportunity to upskill and reskill. You see businesses like PNC Bank that is supporting Whites Creek High School, and there's a cohort of students over there that are gonna have dual credit over their high school career. When they graduate from Whites Creek High School, they're not only going to have a high school diploma, but they're going to have a community college associates degree as well. Wow. So so it's a lot about accelerating the opportunity and opening it up. And one more thing, and I know this is a long answer, but it's a complex issue. Sure. With Tennessee's promise, Tennessee Promise, and what Governor Haslam did to help sort of restructure education in the state at a higher education level, one of the things we found was that tuition wasn't the only barrier that people had to overcome oftentimes there are transportation issues. How do you get to the education? Mm. There are time issues. If you're working two jobs, where do you find the time? Something like a WGU, Western Governors University, that has, has a Tennessee component to it. That's all online education and you pay one fee and you cover as much territory. Let me, let me just emphasize that for a section, second. First, they test your experience and your competence to determine what you already know. And then you have the opportunity to engage in casework online to advance your knowledge. And you can do as much of that or as little of that as you can over a period of time. And you will exit with a a bachelor's degree or a certification. Mm -hmm. So all of those kinds of things Solving that transportation issue, solving that time issue—sometimes it's called caused by childcare. Um, yeah. You know, solving those kinds of issues are all part of that reskilling and upskilling and continuing education that people are going to have to have to match where the jobs are going.
0: Yeah, no, this is this is really great. Um, I know I'm going to be mindful of your time here, so let me ask you one more question, and then I'll get to the lightning round. Uh, okay. <laughs> so you've been on boards for Leadership Nashville, Leadership Middle Tennessee, Leadership Music, and we've talked a lot about leadership, uh, or you know, fair amount today. Tell me some of the common elements you see in great leaders.
3: You know, I. First of all, they they have a vision. They have a view of what can be, and they are not restrained by by obstacles to achievability. Um, I think great leaders are very good at communicating the attractiveness of the future, and also communicating how that future can be achieved. I think they have a tendency to surround themselves with people and activity that advances that 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 goal or that thought i think they are magnets for people that want to join into that i you know i kind of go back to a a warren bennis book of years ago that i read and in effect what he said great leaders have the ability to bring participants or bring Bring bystanders into being participants, and converting those con, those participants to leaders, mm-hmm. and then eventually those leaders become agents agents of change. And I think I think great leaders com, have the skills to have that picture of the desirable future, have the ability to communicate it in ways that their audience can grasp and embrace and then the ability to give them the support that's necessary to be able to go out and do their part to achieve that vision. Mm -hmm. So, you know, those are the characteristics you see in great leaders. And you see those people all around Nashville. You know, I think of people like Bob Fisher, who led uh, Belmont University. I think of people like Milton Johnson, who led HCA. You know, I think of people like Renata Soto, who created Conexion Americas. I think of people like Sam Howard, great businessman, but also a great stimulus for the community. Those are the kind of people that embody those characteristics. Mm,
0: Yeah, and they're great examples, too. So, yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, it sounds to me like, yeah, I mean, in your work with your own team members, you're you're uh, growing your own leaders in house and, uh, and yeah, as much as you don't want them to leave, <laughs> they may go on to lead, uh, to lead other organizations and things as well, so uh, well done there. All right, so let's move on to the quick lightning round. Complete yep. this sentence, nice guys and gals finish. First. first. What is a nice book you recommend to the nice makers?
3: Uh, I, like, I like a book called American Nations that sort of maps out the uh, cultural heritage of North America. It's a great book to understand culture around the United States.
0: Oh, that's interesting. So is it about sort of the founding of the country or the, like, tell me a little bit about it.
3: Dave, Dave this goes all the way back to geologic times. Okay. I mean, li- r- literally prehistoric, but it moves through history in a chronology for 14 regions of North America and how those cultures have evolved. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. Okay. Look, if you ever want the answer to why Memphis is different from Nashville, Uh that's a great book to read.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay. I'll have to check that out. I'll have to check that out. I do. I do love Memphis, by the way. I, uh, I got married in Memphis, uh, before Uh I ever even came to Nashville. I, I, uh, Back in the early early '90s, I did a road trip with some friends from Toronto to Mexico. Uh, we didn't mm. quite make it to Mexico. We made it to the Corpus Christi, Texas, to Mustang Island, so we were really close. Um, but along that way, I, you know, and I was really big in the blues music at the time, and so along that way from Toronto, like hitting Memphis, we we're like, "Whoa, this is awesome!" You know, with Beale Street and such. But uh, yeah, it's, well, let me let let me just say that. Yeah.
3: The, the, the swaths of culture have a tendency to be east to west and west to east not yeah. as much north to south uh-huh. but but the thing i love about the book is it's not about good culture or bad culture yeah. it's just about different culture
0: yeah that's fascinating okay i'm gonna i'm gonna definitely and i'll include a link to that in the show notes of course like everything else that we're Great. talking about all right uh how is ralph nice to
3: himself spending time with the grandkids <laughs> I like carving that time out. How old are your grandkids? Oh, they range from nearly 14 down to about four months. Oh wow seven Congrats. There, There's seven of them, yeah, seven. They're, wow. And they are, every single one of them is unique.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Did you use air quotes there? We're doing audio. I can't see you, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. It's amazing, actually, being, uh, you know, that's something my wife, my our kids are 15 and 16, so we look forward to that day, but not too soon, of course. Um, uh-huh. But yeah. uh, but my, uh, my in-laws became, well, they were already grandkids, or grandparents, I should say, and um, and then when we announced that we were pregnant, um, and then after having our first, we got pregnant again uh, 11 and a half months apart. Um, and so when we announced to the family that we were pregnant the second time around, uh, uh, our my sister-in-law one-upped us and said, I am also pregnant with triplets. <laughs> Oh yes, so five wow. five grandkids in the course of like less than two years, which was uh, yeah. There might be a, that might have been a new record. I'm not I'm not really sure.
3: Well, you <laughs> just have to encourage everybody to get with it. I uh, yeah. <laughs> I've always encouraged that double digit metric, but uh, mm. it, the, the decision lies <laughs> with them. But yeah. it, what, Dave, one thing I, I'll tell you quickly, and that yeah. is the greatest generation before my generation. Uh, really instituted that strong family ethic. And that's kind of carried through our generation. And I hope it carries into the next generation.
0: Yeah. And, I, you know, there's something to be said about living in, you know, being from Canada, but living in the South as well, that um, family is definitely something I've experienced firsthand living here and, and and moving here my wife has a very a, a good large well you know they do a family reunion every year and things like that and it's just yeah it's really nice to to be in a family like that and and have our kids growing up with their cousins and so forth so yeah definitely yeah, definitely good stuff all right if you had a billboard what would it say
3: Nashville's the best place to be
0: and you know what's funny is actually you're probably my first guest that actually has a billboard. <laughs> yeah, <all
3: right. laughs> or at some point you have. <laughs> yeah, all right. Yeah, we, do, we don't do a lot of that, but, yeah. you know, yeah. yeah. I was in an event yesterday over at Vanderbilt where they were talking to some of their their gra- the graduates, and the person at the podium was saying – come to Texas, it's the best place to be. And I I raised my hand in the back that they ignored because I wanted equal time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're like getting on the the boxing gloves, like, come on, let me at them, let me (laughs) at (laughs) them. Hey, Ralph, how can folks get a hold of you? How can they uh, connect?
3: You know, the best way to connect is email to me, arshals at nashvillechamber.com if they just want to connect with the Chamber, and we have a pretty rich website, um, nashvillechamber.com is that is that website. Uh, there's a lot of interesting information there if people want to see it and there's a lot of activity that is open to membership but also open to, to anyone in the community that wants to participate so both of those ways. If they want to connect with me um, Arshals at NashvilleChamber.com is the clearinghouse. Thank you,
0: sir. Well, it's been a pleasure talking. And, uh, you know, we haven't seen each other in a long time, but uh, I would love to catch up in person again one day soon.
3: I'd be glad to. Dave, you made this easy.
0: (laughs) That's my job, man. That's my job.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, sir. All
0: right. Thank you. See ya. Thanks for listening to the nice podcast. Please leave a review. If you enjoyed this episode at friend.nicepodcast.co, and you can find show notes, links to other episodes and lots of other goodies over at nicepodcast.co music by Alistair Crystal at alistercrystal.ca. We'll see you next time and be nice.